my gorgeous listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast, where we chat all about the wonderful world of sex, sexuality, and the body. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and I'm always delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society, and of course, me with my favorite topic of sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash to help mics on or if you like please pop over to apple and review as that helps get the word out about the podcast also if you want to contact me about the podcast the instagram twitter is at glow west podcast so we talk tons about consent on the show because consent is such a complicated area for some people and you know we haven't necessarily had the education that we deserve to have but one thing that we haven't really looked at so far is how do we talk to very young kids about consent because we obviously talk about adults on the podcast so today joining me i have the perfect guest for this. I'm talking to Nadine Thornhill, who is a sexuality educator, speaker and content creator based in Toronto in Canada. With over 15 years experience, Nadine has helped thousands of adults and youth learn and speak openly about consent, pleasure, relationships and sexuality. Nadine created the hashtag Save Sex Ed, which is a YouTube series covering every sex education module in Ontario's 2015 health and physical education curriculum. She's also the host of the acclaimed web series Everybody Curious and supports aspiring sex educators through her program, The Sex Educator Super Starter. Nadine, you are a busy person. Thank you for coming on the podcast. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. And no one can see me. But uh, as we are chatting, I am currently sitting in my car, talking to you and waiting to pick my son up from school. So that's just, you know, it's fairly typical of my life and how it goes. But I love it. Yeah, I think that's the joy of sex education stuff. It's always like a lot of hustling and, you know, running around the place going on. So, yeah, you definitely fit it fit in that that area. Well, come here. You've done. You've had fifteen years of education, which is absolutely fantastic. And you know, you're so qualified, and you have a million qualifications to your name, which is fantastic. Talk us at the start. I think a lot of people are scared to bring up the consent conversation with their kids because maybe you know, a lot of parents weren't raised with consent education themselves. We can't expect them to magically know how to do it. So I think like one of the most common questions that I would see is what age do you start this conversation? And it's kind of a loaded question sometimes. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So what's interesting is, you know, a lot of parents I talk to who may be um, nervous or anxious about about, you know, either, you know, what age do I start this or when do I start? Because consent seems like such a heavy loaded topic. Um, and what I also often tell them is, I bet if we unpack this a bit, you've already been teaching your kids about consent, even your young, young, young kids. Um, you may just not be calling it consent. And so the example I often give is if you have ever been uh, to another person's home, with your child, uh, you know, it could be relatives, could be friends, what have you. Like, did you ring the doorbell before you went in or did you knock before you went in? Um, if so, that's a lesson about consent because we are going to someone else's home, to someone else's space. And so we understand that, well, that's not our space. That's someone else's space. And so even if we've been invited over and they're expecting us, we don't just walk in. You know, we're like, okay, we need to signal to them somehow that A, we're present, 
And B, we want to cross that threshold into their home. And so I'll say, if you've done that in front of your child, or even if you've said to your child, okay, you know, not before you go in, um, then you've started teaching them about consent. You've started teaching them that boundaries are a thing um, and that different people have different boundaries. And so we need to engage in the practice of permission seeking, of letting people know that, you know, we want to engage with them in a certain way um, and that we, we would like them to, we would like to know if they are comfortable with us sort of crossing certain boundaries or thresholds. Um, and so I'm like, that's basically consent. You just don't call it that. But a lot of the things that we call manners or politeness, a lot of that actually involves early lessons about consent. And so I'm like, you can start doing that right away. Like even with your babies, you may not have a conversation with them, but you can start modeling that because ideally, I think consent is something that we want to be practicing in all of our relationships because every single one of us has body boundaries. Every single one of us has physical boundaries in the spaces that we occupy. And we also have things like emotional and psychological boundaries. And as you said at the beginning, that can be very, very complex because, you know, those boundaries are contextual and they're going to be different with different people and at different times. But, you know, learning to navigate all of that is something that we can do in front of our children, literally from the time they like come into the world. So uh, that's often where I start with parents. I'm like, you're probably already doing it. So keep it up. Let's just look at more ways we can be doing it. That's so lovely and and reassuring as well that it's not this giant scary thing. It's something you're doing already. And I love that example of the doorbell. Like I would never have like said that was consent, but of course it is. You know, when you when you break it down like that, you're not just barging in and you you know going into their kitchen and making a cup of tea without being asked and, and stuff like that. So I think that's such a lovely example. I suppose like I would have seen backlash I suppose just referring to your point there about um talking to your babies um I remember I think it was somebody in Australia but I could be wrong but um she went on tv and she was saying you need to ask babies for consent and we do that around changing nappies and stuff and people who were maybe coming at it from either a bad faith perspective Mm -hmm. or an ignorant perspective had said well a baby obviously can't consent to changing their nappy and that obviously wasn't the point so how do you kind of help with that yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, yeah, I remember when that happened and I believe, um, that was D her name, I believe is Deanna Carson in, uh, in Australia. And I think the point she was making was not that, you know, you're asking this question with the expectation that a baby's going to be like, yeah, you know what? Not right now. Like we can do it. Yeah. I'll we just stay in my poop. Hour. It's I'm, fine. I want to, I want to nap. Yeah. Um, but just, that that is an opportunity more for us as parents and caregivers to get into the practice of asking children about their body boundaries. And it's a way of also, you know, getting children used to the idea that people will, people should be asking you before they're touching your body and what you think about having your body touched matters. And so, you know, and and I actually, uh, on my YouTube channel, I made a response to all of that backlash. And I said, you know, for me as a sex educator, even though that's not necessarily something that I suggest to the people that I work with, I don't think that it's a bad suggestion by any means at all. Um, and I 
I do think that there is some value in maybe practicing some of these things with infants because it takes a lot of the pressure off because there isn't going to be an answer because you're like, I'm going to change their diaper anyway. But if you're feeling nervous and anxious and you're like, oh my gosh, like I don't, I don't feel comfortable saying these words. The idea of asking my child before touching them in certain contexts just feels awkward or uncomfortable because maybe it's something that, you know, we as parents didn't get as kids. So we're not used to actually saying those things out loud. I'm like, yeah, a hundred percent. Then start practicing when they're babies because your baby's not going to judge you and you can be as awkward as you want. And your baby's like, I don't care. I love you. Like you feed me and keep me alive. It's all good. Yeah. Um, they're not so going to be rolling kind of their a eyes. Low pressure time to just start practicing and getting more comfortable with some of these things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes it just feels so awkward to say things out loud, especially like you said, if you're not used to it, but it's, it's such a safe space to practice. in. I suppose I think I've noticed as well. And I wonder if you have as well. Sometimes, you know, the analogies that I would use would be saying, um, you know, that you're, you can tell your kid that they don't have to hug an auntie or, you know, um, mm-hmm. family member that comes over or whatever like that. And I feel like there's a bit of pushback to that because it's so I suppose part of our, our social norm script that, you, you know, your auntie gives you a card for Christmas and you go over and you give them a hug and you're told, go over and hug auntie, hug auntie Margaret or whoever it is. And it's like, yeah. it's a, there's a lot of resistance, I think, to, you know, naming that as part of the consent toolkit there. Would you find that as well? I do find that. And uh, of course, not universally, but I've, I've definitely, you know, heard those sort of objections when I I've suggested you know maybe don't force your kid to hug people they don't feel like hugging and so you know when I unpack that with folks that I work with there's a couple of things um sometimes when we've you know gotten a little deeper into the conversation sometimes there can be guilt or shame on the part of the parent or the caregiver um, because I think some of the conversations that we have around consent and consent violations um, we sort of conflate well if you've participated in a consent violation you're terrible Um, and so sometimes there can be guilt or shame because um, many of us as parents have sort of prioritize this propriety or not hurting the feelings of an elder or a respected family member over, you know, our child's right to consent to, you know, receiving or giving affection. Um, And so one of the things, one of the first things is that I want to get out of the way is this is not a judgment about you as a person or a parent at all. Um, You know, most of us did not grow up um, being encouraged to practice consent. And so I'm like, if that never occurred to you, or you were just doing what you were taught to do, I'm like, what parent or caregiver has not done that at some point, just sort of been like, this is just what feels normal to me. So I did it. Um, So I'm like, let's just get that off the table at all. Like, this is not a judgment about any parent who may have done that. Um, the second part of it is just, it's, um, it can be really uncomfortable. Like, again, if we've been raised with these ideas that it's absolutely wrong to ever make somebody uncomfortable. And I find this is more true of, you know, folks who have been raised and socialized as women, uh, racialized folks, like folks who have experienced a lot of marginalization and have sort of been taught, like, it's your job to make sure other people are 
happy and comfortable. So the idea of, oh, well, now I may have offended this relative or this relative doesn't get it. Ah, um, that anxiety is a real thing. And so, you know, I think it's okay to take some time unpacking that. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm like, listen, affection is meant to convey love. It's supposed to make us feel good. And so if you're for or like insisting that your child, you know, give a hug, give a kiss, um, share this, like, like, yeah, do something that feels physically uncomfortable for them or emotionally uncomfortable for them. They're not going to receive that interaction as loving or affectionate. And that's the whole point of hugs and kisses. Um, so I'm like, and I think there are also ways that you can teach your child to show gratitude and appreciation and respect that don't necessarily involve physical contact. Because sometimes we're like, I'm just not into being like touched right now. Um, you know, so we can teach them things like, you know, we can say thank you. Uh, we can say, you know, I appreciate that if they're a little older and can pronounce the word appreciate, um, that there may be like other physical things they can do, like a high five or a handshake. Um, and the other thing we can do if, you know, this involves, again, a relative or someone that we love and care about is as the adult, we can mediate that interaction either in the moment or later and say, hey, you know what, maybe your feelings were hurt when my three-year-old didn't want to hug you. Um, but adult to adult, that wasn't personal. It has nothing to do with how much they love you. Um, and we're adults. Like we are far more equipped to kind of deal with that, that disappointment and we can move past it uh, and not take it personally. But I don't want to teach my child that because someone is nice to them or does something for them, that they now owe that person their body mm -hmm. in a certain way. Yeah, um, sure. because those, le those lessons really stick and they can create a foundation for something that we may not want down the line. Like it's, you know, it's not hard to sort of see the, the, the connection between, oh, well, my grandparent, my aunt, my uncle gave me a present or came to visit and was kind to me. So I had to hug and kiss them to okay, well, my partner took me out to dinner and maybe I don't really want to have sex with them, but I feel like I should, or this person's being like really nice and kind of flirty and romantic. And no, I'm not into like being fondled in this way, but I can't tell them that I don't want to do that because they did something nice for me. So I got to do something for them. Like, yeah. And that sense of like obligation can, can really yeah. be strong and can lead to a lot of unwanted um, experiences for people. But I think it also it disempowers people because it doesn't teach them how to say no. And, you know, a lot of consent education for adults is like, just say no. And it's like, obviously, that's not enough, like, because that's so much more complex than that. Exactly. It also, I think, can create disconnect from people's sense of pleasure, because from a young age, we're saying to them, even again, something like affection that is meant to be a pleasurable experience, we're saying, well, the pleasure is kind of, if not irrelevant, the pleasure is sort of secondary. 
Um, your pleasure is secondary. Your, your experience of this interaction is not as important as somebody else's experience yeah. of the interaction. Yeah. And that, like you're really kind of instilling then in a young age that like your views don't matter and we should yeah. always be um, what's the word? capitulating to the other person's desires. And I think well, that leads to it, a lot of And it's of really to whoever holds more social power. Yes, adults hold yeah. more social power than children. Um, and so I think where that becomes, again, concerning and without, you know, judging every, anybody, because again, I think people are not, they're not thinking of it in these terms. You know, if you have a child, um, you know, again, I'll use myself as an example, you know, um, you know, I was a young black girl. And so you know, if I'm constantly being taught as a young black girl, well, what's important is for you to defer to the people who have more social power than you, then that's going to make it very difficult for me as an adult to then suddenly be like, oh, I can claim my power um, because there are a lot of people in society who are given more power than I am. But the flip side of that is, for example, if you had like a young, white, straight, able-bodied little boy, like wonderful little boy, um, he may not have that social power as a little boy but then what you're teaching him is that as he grows up and as he gains that social power as an adult, it can teach him that, hey, when you have the power, other people have to defer to you. You don't have to care about how other people feel or what they want because now you've got the power. So I just think that it can be a problematic precedent to set no matter what identity your child holds yeah for sure and like we said there about you know the power to say no but also it's important to to instill in people the power to hear that no and that it's okay to be upset about it and it's okay to be annoyed it's okay to be like but I really wanted to but it's still a no and it has to be respected and I think that's really really important to instill in our young people at a very very young age but how do we do that how do we without you know, demonizing their young kids or like judging them, like letting them feel the emotions around it, but still making sure that they understand that rejection is okay. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a friend and colleague of mine, Sarah Casper, uh, who's an educator in the States, she talks about how important it is to look at consent as a practice. And I think that's especially, I think that's relevant for everyone, but I think that's especially relevant for children. Uh, the thing about most children is they aren't, you know, born with this, you know, fully developed set of social skills. You know, obviously it's, it's a learning experience. Uh, little kids tend to be very like, and I mean, different kids are different, but you know, little kids tend to be very tactile. They can be impulsive. Um, you know, they're very much, you know, in the moment. And so the first thing is, I think as parents is to uh, give yourself and give your children grace and really do look at it as a practice. Um, you know, your two-year-old, you can tell them repeatedly like, hey, let's ask before we, you know, hug our friend or let's ask before we pet this dog or hey you just kind of jumped on me and I wasn't ready for that and I'm gonna ask you to like back off um and you'll tell them and tell them and tell them and then they'll just be like it'll be like what like what are ears I don't understand like anything like it's like you said nothing um and that may go on for years where it's like huh, they're not like great at this whole boundary thing um and some one of the so one of the things I will explain to parents is I'm like that's okay. Like, 
it's a practice. And in the same way that you wouldn't like expect to sit down with your kid at like a piano at two and then be like, I don't understand what's happening. Like I've shown them a hundred times how to play the scales and they can't do it. Um, like they'll get there. They, they will get there. Um, you know, try to be patient with them and yourselves, but yeah, you're slowly teaching them. And the other thing I say to parents is try to keep it concrete and specific to any given situation that you're in rather than sort of trying to explain consent as a concept. Children are not abstract thinkers generally. Um, their, their minds have not developed to that point and they have a really hard time um, sort of conceptualizing things. They know what's happening right now and they know about things that are relevant to them. So it's the thing of, okay, yeah, in the moment when your relative is in the room and your kid is like, eh, I don't want, like they're like either showing with their body language or like verbalizing, like, I don't want to kiss this person. I don't want to hug this person. That's the moment when you say, okay, you know what? That's fine. If you don't want to hug this person, you don't have to because hugs and kisses are supposed to feel good. Boom. That's it. That's all you need to say in that moment. Um, you know, if you see a kid, you know, going for like the family cat, you know, and the family cat's ears are back. That's the moment where you say, Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, look, look, look at the cat's ears. We know when the cat's ears are back like that, she's frightened or she doesn't, she doesn't really want to be petted right now. So let's go do something else. Um, that's really good. That's yeah. It's body language it with little kids. Like just keep yeah. it concrete, immediate. And then you, again, you're building that foundation that you can build on later on. Um, the other thing that you can do, which may not seem like it's about teaching consent, but it's uh, very strongly connected, is helping them name their feelings. Because sometimes, uh, you know, we may want to interact with someone or something in some way. Uh, and the other, the other person or pet involved is just like, nah. And it, it hurts. And we're just like, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm bummed out. Like I want my way. I don't like this. Uh, and so you may see kids like having tantrums or crying or feeling embarrassed and just helping them name that and being like, yeah, you can have a whole range of emotions yeah. around consent. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Let's start building your vocabulary so you can start a developing an awareness of these emotions and be just learning how to talk about them. And like the talking about these feelings, getting them out is okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's just so empowering for when they're older so that you don't have to be like 25 and then figure out how to start naming your emotions when you're dating and stuff. Because that's, oh, it's hard to unpack then all those years of silence and maybe shame and maybe stigma on top of all that as well. So yeah, it's the sooner the better when it comes to that. But on, on the other side of that, I know, like you mentioned things like, you know, your your poor cat, um, you know, if his ears, his ears are back, it doesn't want to be petted and it's in a state of like defense or fright. We also do need to talk about that scary side of things, which is sexual violence. And that's mm -hmm. really hard to talk to children about because you don't want to burst their bubble as well of going yeah you know the world is safe and lovely and everybody's lovely and kind but you know it starts recognizing there are people out there that will cause serious harm and we don't yeah. want our young people to be one of those people either but I can imagine quite a lot of parents are terrified to even begin starting that particular conversation yeah um 
and and it, and it can be really difficult. And so uh, there are a couple of, uh, what would I say, sort of hacks that I have to help parents deal with that. So number one, and this is one where I'm like, it's not even about having an explicit conversation or conversations um, about, you know, sexual violence or sexual abuse. Um, and that is to teach your child to use the correct names for their genitals. Um, A, because if anything happens, you know, whether that be, you know, someone has touched them or violated them, uh, you know, they injure themselves or just like something's going on with their bodies. They're just more easily able to talk to us about it and be like, hey, uh, my vagina is really itchy or like my testicles feel weird. Um, it's just easier for them to talk about it. B, we know that a lot of sexual predators are more likely to prey on children who either don't know the names of their genitals or display like a real like shame reticence around using those words. Again, A, because from, pra- from a practical standpoint, those kids, again, are far less able to talk to people about what might be happening to them. Um, and then B, the other thing is that when we, you know, are freely naming every other part of our child's body and then not their genitals, that teaches them something. And it teaches them somehow, like that somehow like, oh, this part of my body is kind of like not to be discussed. And so it's often easier for predators to kind of convince the child like, oh, you did something bad because, you know, I've engaged with this part of your body. So that's the first thing you can do. You just be like, when you're like having conversations about bodies, like just throw out like testicles and penis and vulva, like super casually with the rest of it. And if you don't feel cash about it, again, like you can practice in a mirror, like say it a hundred times until you're like, penis is just a word. Like it's, it's just like broccoli. I don't even care. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, should look like broccoli, but yeah, it should be, it should be that normalized. Um, But Yeah. yeah, you know, you can, you can practice sort of building up your own comfort and then just use it with your kids whenever Yeah, they're just body parts. Um, The second thing that I think is uh, really valuable to talk about is the fact that with kids, um, they don't have the same degree of bodily autonomy as adults. And so that can get confusing for them. So you can have a conversation with them about um, what I call helpful versus hurtful touches. And you can actually engage them in the conversation. And you can say like, I bet sometimes... I ask you or, or like, I make you do things with your body that you don't want to do. Why do you think I do? Like, what, what is a thing that I ask you to do with your body that you want don't want to do? And, and it can be anything. Like, it might be like, I don't like brushing my teeth at night. Like, I, I don't like always want to take a bath. Sometimes you like give me food that I don't like. You make me go to school and you can take any one of those and you can start asking them like, why do you think I make you do that? Why do you think, you know, I insist that you brush your teeth. Why do you think I make you take this medicine while you're sick? And you can have the conversation about how, you know, grownups who care for you sometimes will ask you to do things that you don't want to do because they're trying to take care of you. They're trying to take care of your health. Uh, They're trying to like, you know, make sure that you learn uh, things like that. And then you can talk about how, you know, sometimes there are grownups who will ask you to do something with your body you don't want to do, and it's not helping you, and it's it's not for you. Um, and you can, you know, depending on your child's age, talk about 
what that might be. And then also talk about, you know, things like instincts. And again, you don't have to describe them as instincts, but it's like, you can say like, if a grown up asks you to do something and it doesn't feel, you don't think that it's good for you, please come and tell me and we can talk about it. And I'll listen to you, um, reassure them that they're not going to be in trouble. Um, and that, you know, if they can tell you right away, that's great. But if it's hard and it takes them a while, that's okay too. And I think the other really important thing is to let them know that it's, if that happens, it doesn't matter who does it. Um, because a lot of children experience abuse at the hands of people that they know and that they trust. Yeah. Oftentimes that person has a relationship with the parents or mm -hmm. caregivers. So to let them know, like literally anybody, like if it's your other parent, if it's your grandparent, if your aunt or uncle, if it's like, you know, your babysitter, your good friend, tell me and just tell me and it's going to be fine. You know, and I usually recommend like keep the tone fairly chill. Don't make it like dire and scary. It's just like, just let me know. And we'll talk about it um, yeah. so that they know that's an option. And then my last thing is to talk to kids and help them identify, I would say at least two, but ideally three grownups that they trust. And the reason again is because children often experience abuse in the family or in the home or at the hands of someone they know. So you want them to know that they, they can go to someone other than you. Mm, that's really um, important. And to like yeah. name that person, you can have like a nice conversation about like, why do we trust this person? Like, why are they great? Um, and to let them know, like, if you want to go and tell that person, that's okay. Mm. Like, I'm here if you want to tell me, but if you want to tell somebody else, you can tell somebody else if it's easier for you. Because you want them to tell somebody. Yeah. And really important because they might be scared to tell you because they might feel like you'll be mad or disappointed mm -hmm. or sad. And, you know, as a primary caregiver, you know, they don't want to upset you sometimes, you know, they don't want to upset you. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And sometimes and I, and I and again, I think we we've all or lots of us have experienced this. Sometimes it is easier to say something really intense to someone that you have less of an intense relationship with. Um, sometimes it's easier because you just need to get it out. And sometimes you're like, I don't want to have to look this person in the face tomorrow after I've told them this. So it's easier to tell someone where you're like, I can tell them and then I can have a little distance from them. Yeah. Um, and I, that can be true for children too. Mm -hmm. um, would that be a case as well of like prepping those people to say, look, um, you know, my child has identified you as a safe person. If they ever disclose to you, please come to me and we can talk about what that looks like and things like that, rather than a, a surprise disclosure, maybe to those people. Where they're like, ah. yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if if you have been doing sort of reading and studying about how to respond to somebody who discloses to you, um, you can definitely share that information with the other safe people in your children's life. Um there's a great resource, um, Rosalia, I forget her last name, it's gone out of my head, uh, but she's on Instagram as Consent Parenting, uh, and she has fabulous resources to help parents and caregivers navigate 
um, just sexual safety with their kids. Brilliant. Oh, uh, that, yeah, it's so great to have, like, that's the joy of Instagram and stuff sometimes that we have access um, to these resources. Because, yeah, like you were saying, you know, when you're talking there about the names, that really kind of popped into my head of a story I remember. And I hope it wasn't true, but, you know, maybe hopefully it's an urban legend or something, but it was about a little girl. And she told her teacher in her class that, oh, my uncle touched my cookie. And they thought she was actually talking about a cookie that you eat, like a biscuity type thing. But that yes, was the word yeah, she used. I definitely heard stories like that. Yeah. And that's it's awful because like nobody picked up on it then. And what that girl le- learned was like nobody cares, you know, and maybe yeah. didn't chance going forward again to tell to someone else. So obviously that could be avoided then if we do use that kind of language. So that's important. But I think then if we so we take that like up a notch to like teenagers teenagers are complicated creatures and um, they're they're going through a lot at the best of times yep. I do not want to ever be a teenager ever again but we know from a lot of research that um that our teenagers are experiencing sexual violence and they're experiencing sexual coercion and harassment mm-hmm. and um digital sexual abuse as well all these kind of scary things that you know, may not have been talked about by parents as well. I mean, if you didn't have the internet or phones or everything when you were a parent, obviously that's going to be a whole new area. But yeah. how, how do you talk to your kids about that when you're really unsure of what the, even the language, because, you know, we don't say revenge porn anymore. We say image-based abuse and that's changed really rapidly as well. And also varies from culture to culture as well. It's like, where where do we start with teenagers uh, so, so I have a teenager of my own now, and my it's interesting because <laughs> now that I have uh, a living, breathing specimen in my home, <laughs> some of my advice around this has actually changed. And so, I think before I had my own teenager, um, I didn't appreciate how important I think it is to. Um, to have conversations on their terms. Um, Because before all of my interactions with teenagers were either when I was a teenager myself, which like you, I'm like, I don't ever want to go back to that time in my life for anything. Like I'm very glad time moves forward and only forward (laughs) as far as we know. Um, And then I would interact with, you know, youth as part of my job. And I realized that's a very different relationship when I come in as the sex ed lady, as opposed to the relationship I have with my teenager as his parent and so yeah a lot of the conversations that we have it has to be on his terms when he's ready to talk to me um I try really hard to make myself available um I will try hard to like put down what I'm doing and I will try to engage on whatever whatever he wants to talk to me about you know I'm like if you want to talk about call of duty then we will talk about call of duty if you want to talk to me and show me tiktoks that you have seen we're going to talk about the tiktoks that you care about um the other thing I've learned is that it's super important to listen and as much as I can to defer to his knowledge of what it's like to be a teenager in the digital age Um, And so rather than sort of trying to give a lot of advice and guidance, it's a lot of asking questions, like, and even simple questions, like when TikTok first became a thing, I was like, what is TikTok? What kind of videos do people make? Um, You know, and he would roll his eyes and be like, oh my gosh. You're so uncool. (laughs) It's dances and it's edits. And why don't you know this? Um, 
and me sort of sitting there being like, oh, okay, yep, uh-huh, 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 okay, we're just gonna pretend that I know nothing, um, because that's what he thinks of me sometimes, <laughs> um, but yeah, to just sort of keep those channels of communication open, um, you know, and so to ask about, so like, rather than saying things like, oh, well, you know, don't, you know, share intimate pictures with people online or like don't text somebody like a nude or whatnot is to just yeah be curious and you know maybe you ask a question like yeah I'm like do you find like a lot of people your age send nudes um you know and the answer might be yes or no and that might be the the like that might be the only conversation you have that day and then you might come back to it later. But what you're doing is you are letting your team know, like, A, I, I want, I'm here if you need to talk. I want to talk to you. The things that you care about matter to me. Um, and also, I acknowledge that I don't know your experience, but I'm curious about your experience. Um, and I'm open to hearing about your experience. And what I have found um, to my relief is that when my son needs, when he needs somebody, when he's like, I need an adult, I need some guidance here. I'm a little out of my depth. He does seem to come to me or he'll come to his dad. And again, I have to be like very careful. And again, it's a lot of just listening and being like, okay, 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 interesting. How do you feel about that? What do you think about that? And even like when I'm offering help, saying things like, how can I help you? What would be helpful for you right now? Um, Is there anything that I can do? And sometimes all I can do and all he wants is, I just wanted someone to hear me. Um, And I find that that part is consistent with what I've observed and heard from other teenagers. They're like, I just want someone to listen to me. Um, I just want somebody older to know what I'm going through. I just want to know as I'm sort of navigating this quagmire that there are other people here who will have my back if I really need them. And I think that part of being a teenager is not different from what I remember as a teenager, that some of it was like, I got to figure this out on my own. Um, And my parents would try to relate to certain experiences that I was having. And I was like, I know you don't get it because I know that you did not grow up in this situation. Like, I just want you to hear me. Um, And then when I need you, if you've heard me, then I can be like, ah, okay, here's a thing that happened. Help me. And to know that they're there. So as difficult as it is, I think that a lot of parenting teenagers and helping them, you know, through sort of this very different social situation when it comes to you know you know sex and romance and relationships is just being there as much as you can and if they like whenever they like sort of crack open that door be ready be just ready to be like okay 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 I'm here I'm here I'm here um and make it an ongoing thing because they're you're you're probably not going to get the opportunity too often to be like let's sit down and have a five-hour conversation about sex on the internet oh my Um, god that nobody wants that (laughs) nobody wants that like I'm like you probably don't want to do it your kid doesn't want to do it um you know and there are some teenagers who are like you will they will come out of their room like 
when it's time to have a meal and then they'll be gone. Um, So if they open up to you at all, as much as you can, just receive it. I think that's just such a lovely, calm and kind and compassionate response and I think people have the pressure to like I have to know all the answers and I have to know how to do this and I have to spend 15 hours on a training course to to know how to do this but like you said being able to say I you know I don't have all the answers but just once you can lead with some of those questions and let your team lead that's really important so I love how just calm that feels so I think that's really 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 important yeah Thank you. I, I, I sound calm when I say things like this. And then the reality is that like sometimes <laughs> I'm calm and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm like stressed and panicking and like going to my partner and be like, oh my God, like, do you know what, do you know what our kid just said? Ah, what did you, ah. um, but I would also say to parents, like, that's okay too. Like, it doesn't mean that you have to internally be calm all the time. Like, this is hard. It's yeah. really, really hard. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, my love and respect to those parents who were like, I'm taking the courses, I'm reading all the books, I'm trying to get the answers. Um, like, I love you so much. And that's amazing. But yeah, it is totally okay if you don't have answers. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like, we can't be experts on everything. And again, I think sometimes it's the showing up is such a big part of it. And so even if you show up and and your kid's like, oh my gosh, I'm in this situation. I don't know what to do. And all you can offer is like, I'm not sure what to do either. Um, but I love you and I'm here for you. Yeah. You know, and and if you, you know, I'm, I'm willing to help you figure it out. Or if you just want me to like, you know, sit here and listen to you or make you a snack or hold you like, I'm just here to support you. Um, you know, just to remind them that, you know, at least as far as you're concerned, they have that, um, they, they, they always have that worth in your eyes and that like, that's never going to change. Yeah. Uh, I think can be really helpful because yeah, like we go through stuff in our lives, especially like often, like when we're teenagers, we may go through some messy, messy, messy stuff. Um, and so I'm like, you're not failing as a parent if your kid gets caught up in some mess. Like, yeah, it's, it's just life. part of life. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. you can you can do everything you you should do on paper inverted commas, but then life happens and disrupts all those plans, and that's also exactly. okay. Um, but it, it's thanks to people like you out there who put out some resources into the world that people can call on maybe in an emergency situation and stuff so tell us about the everybody curious program because I think that's a really great resource um for parents to kind of just even to kind of have a look at like what a sex positive approach to sex might be because that might be very new for a lot of people sure yeah so uh, everybody curious is a web series that I uh co-produce and I co-host and it is a series for um youth and their families who are sort of in that, uh, I don't know if you use this term in Ireland, but in Canada, we call it the tween stage. So it's when they're like basically older children, but not quite uh, teenagers. Yeah, it's like nine to like 12-ish. Sort of not, yeah, like eight or nine to like 12, 13-ish. And again, um, I personally am not like really stuck on like what age are they? Because every kid matures differently. But yeah, when they're kind of in that like, not quite a kid, not quite a teen phase. Um, 
And so each episode focuses on a different topic. We have an episode that focuses on consent. Uh, we have episodes about, you know, the genitals and then one about like the penis and the vulva specifically. Uh, we have an episode about gender, all sorts of different things. And so the premise is that we are in a classroom, uh, but in our classroom, it's all sex ed all the time. And we have this group of, of, of tweens and we just like play games and ask them questions and have fun conversations about whatever that day's topic is. And even in shooting it, you know, it was like, it was very casual and a ton of fun. And what we really wanted to do with the series is just show how conversations and discussions about sexuality can be a, again, like very casual, very natural, um, and how they can also be fun. And it's okay to like, laugh and giggle and it's okay to answer questions and ask questions um even questions that might be a little awkward or embarrassing um and it's okay to just kind of be yourself in these communications that we have with kids about their bodies about relationships about identity and what we really wanted to do is hopefully provide like a fun reassuring example for um, you know, families, educators, anyone who's trying to navigate these, these topics with kids about what it, what it actually looks and sounds like, and that it doesn't have to be this, like, you know, very serious, very formal, like, let's sit down and, like, talk about facts and statistics and, you know, that it, it can just be, like, a natural part of conversation and communication. Um, oh, I love that So, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. very proud to be part of that series, and yeah. it's, I hope it comes across as fun because we have so much fun making it um, and shooting it. And the kids are fabulous. Like they're just, and they're, they're just kids. Like they're not actor kids or anything. They're just everyday kids. Yeah. Just everyday kids. So yeah. And all of it is like off the cuff and sort of, you know, happened on the day and stuff. And I think that's so important though, (laughs) which is an excellent name. Well, I think that's so important that, yeah, they're not actor kids. I think that they are everyday kids because, you know, we want want to kind of look at things and look at it as genuine and not these kids saying, oh, well, excuse me, did you know this? And it's like, no kids, you know, they don't talk like that. You know, they're just. No, they don't gonna vomit up whatever they're gonna vomit up and stuff so um yeah it's really nice and I like that it says so talk to me about the description as well says it shines a responsible light everybody curious program Mm -hmm. so it says it's sex positive programming that shines a responsible light on sexuality as a natural healthy and fun part of life so talk me through that responsible part of that so one of the um what did I say one of the concerns that adults sometimes have about talking to kids about sexuality is they're afraid that either it's going to lead to like this line of questioning from the kids that goes to like, you know, an incredibly erotic adult place and or that somehow they are not going to be able to sort of temper their responses and they're going to say something that's going to be so inappropriate as to like, scar their child or something um and so one of the things that we wanted to show is that um you know in watching the program hopefully people can get a sense of sort of you know here's how you can kind of navigate those conversations and still keep it like age or developmentally appropriate for kids and that a 
you can be pretty candid with kids of that age. And if you focus on what they're actually asking you or what they're actually saying, um, and again, sort of letting them kind of take that lead in the conversation, it's not likely to go somewhere that you don't want it to go. Um, or I should reframe that because I don't know where you want it to go, but it's not likely to go to like this adult place because they're not adults. Um, that's not really where their interests lie. Um, but also that as adults, I think we can trust ourselves. Like, you know, we might like, and I mean, I've done it myself and I'm a sex educator. Like I'm trained to do this. And I remember the first time my kid asked me what a tampon was. And I think, you know, he was four and I, the explanation I gave him in retrospect was far too complex about like what the menstrual cycle was, but it didn't harm him. He was just like, I'm bored and I don't <laughs> okay. care. Um, it's even worse than like, you know, being scared. It's like, oh my God, will she ever stop talking? Like, yeah, the cringe. like why are you talking to me? Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. care about any of this. I just thought this was a candle and it's not. That's all I needed to know. <laughs> yeah. um, so to also trust, you know, in your in your commitment to take care of your child, you are unlikely to do something that's going to harm or scar them because it's not your intention. If your intention is just to educate, um, even if you don't do it like perfectly um, and you make mistakes, which I do all the time, it's that's okay. And so just to sort of model like what a responsible conversation looks like from a caring adult. Um, and if you are a caring adult who really does have your kid's best interests at heart, uh, you're probably not going to say anything like super egregious. I think that's a, that's a lovely note to kind of um, wrap things up on it, that if you make a mistake, it's OK. Like we're all human. Everyone's going to make mistakes. It's not just your kids. You're on a learning process. It, it's you as well. And I think that's just such, again, lovely, kind response to things. Yeah. And again, yeah. like just to just to drive home the point uh i've been doing this professionally i'm coming up on 17 years now make mistakes on the reg have to correct them it's okay yeah it's just you're human it's like you know that's that's absolutely okay and where can people find all your fabulous work because i love that you you put this out there into the world for people to learn Thank you. Um, I'm very easy to find online. Uh, my website is nadinethornhill.com. I am at Nadine Thornhill on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, if you want to find my YouTube channel, that is Nadine Thornhill. And uh, the only thing that is not Nadine Thornhill is Everybody Curious, uh, which is at everybodycurious.ca. But I also link to all the episodes on my YouTube channel. So I kind of lied. You can find that <laughs> at, at one of the Nadine Thornhills. So you can, and you can just Google Nadine Thornhill and, and you'll find me very, yeah, very perfect. easily. Perfect. You, you've got your marketing on point there with your name. Just nice and easy. Happy days. It's just easy. And it's easy for me to remember. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, fair play. Brilliant. Listen, thank you, Nadine, for talking to me today. I really appreciate you like sharing all those lovely, kind words of wisdom with my listeners today. So thank you. Oh, it was my absolute yeah. pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you. And absolutely, you know, I'd urge all my listeners to pop over to Nadine's website. It'll be in the show notes as well. And just kind of educate yourself. And like we said, just be kind to yourself and be calm. It's okay. You will survive this process. So thanks a for listening. And I'll chat to you all next week. Bye.